And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. It's great to have you with us as we continue doing these programs day after day, week after week, if you will, month after month and year after year. Uh, it's wonderful to have you with us here as we come your way every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We're streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. And we are uh, also podcasting these programs. But before I tell you that, don't forget about the special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And that's on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, it is also on uh, the um, uh, Amazon Music Channel, as well as iHeartRadio. So I hope you'll tune into those and others that are all over the place. And we hope that you will uh, find yourself uh, looking for the uh, information that will give you all of the good stuff that uh, I think that will be wonderful. We, we also are on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. So I hope that you will do that. Today's program, I think you're going to enjoy. I know I am. It's going to kind of take me back to my, you might call it home territory of the desert, um, the lower desert of Arizona, where we're going to be talking, and actually it's not so much the lower desert as much as where I live now, the high desert, because we're going to be talking about medicine and miracles in the high desert, and it's my life among the Navajo people with my very special guest, Erica Elliott. And Erica, I want to thank you for joining us here on the program and, and being a part of uh, the work that so many are doing right now in terms of helping others to not only better their lives, but to um, better the lives of the people around them. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here, Richard. First of all, um, where in the high desert. Where is this high desert of which you speak? <laughs> well, I, I live in the high desert in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm a medical doctor here, but I started my life as a young woman as a school teacher 50 years ago on the Navajo Reservation in Chinle, Arizona, which is near Canyon de Chez, which is mm. one of the most beautiful places on earth. And then I, I, I spent a few years there as a school teacher. And then I became a sheep herder for Navajo family. It spoke no English and it was to perfect my Navajo. I actually learned the Navajo language. I, I'm a linguist, so, but it, nevertheless, it was one of the hardest languages I have ever confronted. It, it's like harder than Chinese. And that's why it was a code that was never broken in World War II because yeah. It wasn't even a code. They were just talking their own language, but using it colorfully, like they called a bomber plane an eagle. And nobody could break that code, the only code that the Japanese and Germans couldn't break. And so, <clears throat> and so I, when, I, when I became a sheep herder, I wanted to live the way people did traditionally. And it was just like living 100 years ago. And... Um, and I became very conversant in Navajo because I had to, and I learned how to butcher sheep, shear sheep, card the wool, spin, weave, dye with plants. I learned all about plants, medicinal, and for dyeing for rugs. 
then I, I went on from there. I wanted to learn more about Indigenous people, and I served in the Peace Corps high in the Andes Mountains with Quechua-speaking Indians, helping them develop bilingual materials, Quechua Spanish, so that children could learn Spanish and get jobs in, in town in Quito. And there I did a lot of high mountain mountaineering. I joined an all-male climbing club. They, they kind of adopted me and they taught me everything they knew. And I ended up doing a first ascent with a peak that was named after me. And I was the first American woman, not the first woman, the first American woman to climb Aconcagua, the highest mountain in the Western Hemisphere, which is 23,000 feet. And anyway, uh, during all this, I had an epiphany that my real purpose in life was to be a medical doctor. Mm. So when I went back, I, I um, went to medical school and I came back to serve the Navajo people as an expression of gratitude for how they had treated me. I mean, once I learned Navajo, the whole world opened up to me. They invited me into their remote hogans and invited me into ceremonies that aren't allowed for white people including peyote ceremonies where I saw one miracle after another happen that I, I could not explain. And to this day, I can't explain what happened, but I witnessed it myself and I saw it happen to others. And so I, I felt a great debt of gratitude. And that's why I came back to serve them for a few years and then went on and moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I have a very busy private practice. I'm also the founder of one of the oldest co-housing communities in the country called The Commons. You can learn about it. I did a TED talk about it and you might find it interesting. So that's the trajectory, the overall trajectory. And if you'd like to ask me more specific things about what I witnessed. I mean, they're, they're mind boggling. Once the children trusted me and saw how hard I was trying to learn Navajo, everything changed. And I mean, these kids, when I first came to the boarding school, 1971, I, I was a teacher of the first, fourth grade and the kids did not talk to me. They did not look at me. They, I, I couldn't understand what was going on. I knew nothing about Navajo culture. The boarding school gave me no orientation. I talked to the white teachers and they were all ready to retire. They, they couldn't wait to get their pension and leave. They did not enjoy it there. And they, they felt, I said, why are the kids in fourth grade and they can't speak English? And they, they, they told me these kids can't learn. <laughs> and I discovered once I started speaking Navajo, and the teacher aide was teaching me, Donna Scott, whose, whose father was very famous code talker, Clark Gorman, and her brother is a very famous artist, R.C. Gorman, who's now dead. But she knew the white and the traditional world very well. And so she saw how hard I was trying to make contact with the students and getting nowhere. So she, she said, you know, I can see you really want to make a difference. And so, you know, I think if you if you start by showing the kids you want to learn about their culture and try to speak their language, things are really going to change. So she taught me a few sentences. The next day I went in there and tried to say them and totally butchered the language because it's so difficult. 
And all the students looked up at the same time, first time making eye contact, and they burst out laughing. And that was the beginning of a, a, a huge love affair between me and the students. And what I discovered is the students wanted me so much to learn about their lives. They asked me, each student asked me to check them out on the weekends from the boarding school and take them to their remote hogans in the middle of nowhere. And they, I, I did that and I was with families who didn't speak any English. And that's when they invited me in all these ceremonies and stuff. Anyway, they saw how interested I was and they wanted me so badly to learn about their lives. They learned English so fast. These were really smart kids. And these white teachers, these old white teachers, they, they had no idea how to teach the Navajo students. And it, it turns out that they arrived not speaking much English, a few words. And by the end of the year, three of them won a regional speech contest. That's what sh shows you what can happen when you care about somebody. You care about who they are. You care about their life, their culture. It's absolutely transformative to me and to the students. So, I, I mean, it was profound what I saw happen. These were very, very bright kids. Mm. We're talking with Erica Elliott. Uh, there is an MD after your name because you're also a doctor. Am I correct? I'm a medical doctor. I'm practicing. I have a very busy practice in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. uh, and your website? Well, I have two websites. One is ericaelliottmd.com, mm -hmm. but I don't use that very much because I'm not I'm not accepting new patients anymore. Okay. I have 1,200 patients, and I and they come from all over the country. Wow. I can't handle more than that. I'm just me. And my other website, which the readers might find really interesting, is called Musings, with an S, Musings, Memoir, and Medicine. And there they will find all sorts of interesting blog posts and in different categories. One is excerpts from all the different memoirs I'm writing. This one we're talking about is the first memoir of a series of four. Mm -hmm. And this memoir is called that we're talking about is called Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert, My Life Among the Navajo People. And it's available on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or at Inner Traditions who published it. And it's it's and also an audible too. It's an audible and it's a digital, etc. And hardback, softback. So so anyway, it, on my blog site, so you'll find excerpts from the memoir. But what would be even more interesting for your listeners and readers is uh, if you click under categories, you click under medicine, you'll find all kinds of blog posts that are really useful that you won't find in mainstream medicine. Now, are, it, are you referring to your website, uh, Erica M. Elliott, or the Musings, Memoirs, and Medicine? I'm referring to musingsmemoirandmedicine.com. The other website is ericaelliottmd.com. Mm -hmm. You'll learn a lot about me, but, sure. but it's inactive because I'm not taking new patients. Right. And so, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, we are going to we are going to link to your website uh, the amusings memoirs and uh, medicine 
uh, com so that people can uh, find out more about the work that you do aside from just your the medicine. Uh, yeah, it's th- Memoir is singular. It's musingsmemoirandmedicine.com, all right. one word. All right, musingsmemoirandmedicine.com. That's the website, ladies and gentlemen. So you want to uh, bookmark that. We will be linked to that website so that people, as I said, can find out more about the work that you are doing as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I'm very grateful that you have joined us here along with our very special guest, Erica Elliott, who uh, has uh, been amongst the Navajo. I, I have to say, I, I myself, now I don't know if you've had your DNA, if you've done one of those DNA tests, but I had mine done not long ago and found out uh, to, to my maybe partial surprise, maybe I wasn't that surprised, but to my, my surprise that I actually have a connection to the Native Americans. But I, when I say Americans, I'm talking North, Central, and South. According to the DNA, uh, I've got a good percentage of my DNA from North, Central, and South America. I'm actually one part Eastern European Jew. <laughs> I do have some Northern England um, uh, blood in me as well, or the part of the DNA, and so on and so forth. I actually hail from seven, five of the seven continents. So I was accurate when I was a kid, and I would tell them, yeah, I'm Heinz 57, five, seven from five of the seven continents. So I'm wondering about you and, and your, shall we say, interconnection, your spiritual, if not DNA connection, oh, biological okay. I, connection. I, I'd be glad to tell you. Yeah. They, they, the Navajo people that I associated with said they'd never seen a white person learn Navajo like that. And they, they were blown away. And they said, so many of them said, I'm really, my heart and soul are really Navajo. And they... They talked about previous lifetimes and so forth. And they they gave me a Navajo name, which is really funny. They called me Asafachi, which means Navajo woman with red skin. And the reason why they called me a redskin is because I was sunburned all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that was an accurate description. Yes, it's accurate. <laughs> it, was, it was totally accurate. And I want to tell you something that happened. I want to tell your listeners something that's utterly mind-blowing. And it's one of those miraculous things I was talking about that I saw over and over in the ceremonies. And what I'd like to tell you about is something that happened at my first peyote ceremony. Oh, wow. And I I did not speak Navajo then. I knew how to say, hello, how many sheep do you have? Um, come here, my child, not much, maybe a few sentences, Mm -hmm. because I had only been there a month. And this Navajo family took a real big liking to me. And they, um, they belong to the Native American church, which is the peyote. And it was legal by the government for them to go and harvest the peyote plant in Texas and come back and, and use it for worship, not for recreation. That was considered um, very bad use of it. And so this is for praying. It was a re- their, their religious experience. And white people were not allowed in those days to participate, but they invited me and they, they said I was one of their family. They adopted me, so to speak. And they told me that 
I was a little scared because these are hallucinogens. <laughs> they call it plant medicine. They mm-hmm. don't call it peyote. They call it plant medicine mm. and use it for healing and stuff. So I was a little bit scared. <laughs> I didn't know what in the world I'd be getting myself into. And the, the, my Navajo mother told me I had to get rid of my white man clothes to go into the ceremony. And, and so she dressed me up like a Navajo and put my hair in one of those Navajo knots with yarn around it and a, a beautiful velvet shirt and satin skirt and with a concha belt and squash blossom necklace, lots of turquoise. I looked utterly <laughs> regal. I looked like I was ready to go to some Navajo prom or something. And um, so we filed in there and you call the medicine man who runs the peyote ceremony a road man. Now the peyote is not the Navajo traditional healing. They borrowed that from the Plains Indians. And the Plains Indians used it during times of horrendous suffering and uh, genocide. And they used it to survive emotionally and spiritually. And then it spread all over to all indigenous tribes in the U.S. And the Navajos, a certain branch of the Navajos, really found it uh, very valuable. And in the summer, they use teepees, even though teepees are not Navajo. That's Plains Indians. In the winter, they use their traditional hogans. Anyway, um, so we were all in a huge circle, and my Navajo grandmother, uh, Navajo mother, was sitting next to me, and she told me she whispered that she would interpret for me and stuff. So anyway, they prayed all night. It was for a sick baby, and I, I was looking at the sick baby, and I could watch the baby get better as the night progressed. The baby was had pneumonia and was copper colored with fever uh, and really mucousy crying and stuff and i watched as the baby got better and better all, all the coloring natural color came back and it was go- uh, gurgling or whatever you call it, cooing and mm-hmm. looking at the mom and I, I was just incredulous that this was happening while we were singing and chanting and praying and so part of the ceremony is you take sacred tobacco that is harvested from the San Francisco peaks, which sadly now is a ski area, but that was their ho- one of their holy mountains where they got their healing plants from. And so they rolled these natural little cigarettes with plant, dried plants. Mm-hmm. And what you do is you inhale, exhale, and then you say a prayer, and then you pass it to the next person. And so my, my Navajo grandmother was on my right. She did the inhale, exhale, and pray. And then she passed the cigarette to me and said in English, pass it on. And I did not pass it on. Mm. I inhaled, exhaled, and then I started praying in Navajo in Navajo, which I didn't know. I mean, I knew five sentences in Navajo and that's it. And I thought to myself, as I was praying, a part of my mind said, wow, you are really uh, stoned (laughs) because you're, um, you're, this is, uh, this feels real, but it can't possibly be real because you don't speak Navajo. So this is a huge hallucination. 
And I thought, wow, this stuff is really strong. <laughs> it makes me think that this is real. Mm. And so then I passed it on to the next person. And then they had the water drum. It's a metal container with water inside. So, mm -hmm. And they beat it. And it sounds ethereal, like from another planet or something. Or it sounds like the heartbeat of life. And then you take it and you, you sing a prayer. And... <clears throat> The same thing happened. My Navajo mother did did her singing and, and beating the drum, and she said, pass it on. And I didn't pass it on. And I was drumming, and I was singing a prayer song I had never heard before in my life. Hey, nay, young, hey, nay, yo, hey, yo, hey, nay, young, like that. And I thought, wow, wow, I am really hallucinating and and it seems more real than real life this is amazing and i passed it on anyway so the, the prayers went on and then morning came and we filed out and we put our head forward to the ground and then we blessed ourselves with our eagle feather fans and we walked into the cinder block house next door where the women had been up all night making a huge breakfast for all of us so we sat on a sheet on the floor, on the dirt floor, and and uh, on another sheet was the mutton stew, fry bread, canned peaches. And so we started to eat. And the road man, the medicine man, he started talking to me in Navajo. And everybody was staring at me. And I, this, the peyote had long ago worn off. And he talked and talked. And I felt so uncomfortable because he kept looking at me while he's talking and I had no idea what he was saying. <laughs> and finally, he said, I, I said, in total embarrassment, I said, you know, excuse me, but I, I, I don't speak Navajo. And everybody went roared laughing. They thought that was a scream. And the roadman said, you sure talked up a storm last night. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, you mean that really happened? And everybody laughed and laughed and laughed. So that's just gives your listeners a taste. That's just a taste of what I experienced. I, I experienced all, all these amazing things. I experienced things that white people never experience ever in their life. We're and we're, we're yeah. hold on one moment here. We're talking with Erica Elliott. I want to let people know who you are and who you're who they're listening to. She's coming to us from a very, very far away, distant place. Uh, and it's not just Santa Fe, New Mexico. It's a place where most of us probably will never be able to go just out of our own lifestyle and logistics. But it's a place, it seems, as our guest is sharing with us, that each one of us needs to find a way to go to, and that is to these higher realms that, that she is sharing with us, that she has experienced as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're so grateful that uh, Erica Elliott is with us here on the program to share with, her, share with us her story. Erica, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about uh, in reference, for example, as I shared with you, my DNA and all of that stuff, uh, and as much as I loved living for the time that I did in Arizona, aside from the heat, which is the reason I left, um, I never really wanted to get 
close to the Native Americans from the standpoint that I knew enough to know that what they had was sacred, it was private, it was personal, um, it was something that needed to be protected, preserved, and carried on within the tribe of the Native Americans, regardless of tribe, regardless of tribe. And in your case, it was the Navajo. Um, and so I, I kind of kept a, a distance until I had that DNA test. And then I, I, I realized, okay, maybe that wasn't so much, I don't want to disturb, for example, I don't want to disturb the still waters, okay? Don't want to muddy them up. It was more probably an innate awareness that until I am ready, uh, I, should, I should just observe from a distance. And then one day... I will be led to and brought into that circle, as it were. What about you? you it sounds as though, and, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm incorrect in this, but from all that you're share, you've shared thus far, it seems as though, uh, in spite of the children's uh, having to develop a trust, that you kind of just, it was like, this just feels right? Or was there a... a challenging transition period for you, uh, an adjustment in that regard from yeah, yes. the white man's lifestyle to the native lifestyle? Well, my I had a big adjustment and then they had an adjustment. My big adjustment is <clears throat> when I graduated from college in uh, education, I looked at the trade journals and I was in, in the in the uh, East Coast then, and the trade journals, all the positions didn't look very interesting. And I honed in on this boarding school in the middle of nowhere in the Southwest, which I'd never been to before. That was like off the map for me. And I, 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 I had no idea what it would be like, but a little voice, my inner compass says, this is where you must go. And my friend said, are you out of your mind? That's in the middle of nowhere. That's crazy. Why, why don't you go to a regular school plus boarding schools? Uh, native boarding schools have a really bad reputation where they've harmed children. They've punished them for speaking their language. They've raped girls. They've done horrific things to the native children. Why in the world would you want to be part of that? I, I said, I don't know. I, I really don't know, but I know this is what I have to do. And so I applied to the Bureau of Indian Affairs in Washington, D.C. and heard nothing from them. So I thought, oh, they don't want me. So I'm going to take this opportunity to visit my relatives in Switzerland and the rest of Europe and, and take a year off. And so when I came back from the year, I visited my sister in California and on her table was a letter from Washington, D.C. It was a year old. It had been forwarded over and over to different places and finally ended up at my sister's. So I opened the letter and they said, we want you. And my sister said, they're not going to want you anymore. That's a year old. I'm sure they have somebody. And a little voice said, call them anyway. So I called up and it was after the next school year had already begun. It was the end of September. And they said, we want you right now. This position is still open. And my sister said, 
that's a really bad sign. Mm. <laughs> if it's still open after a year, that means it's a bad place. Mm. And so I said, well, I'm going anyway. And so when I got there, I thought, oh, my God, I've made a really big mistake. Because it just, I, I, I wasn't used to seeing so much desert. And it all looked different shades of brown. And it was just dirt roads. And there's one road through town. There was one gas station, one restaurant, one junk a grocery store that just sold terrible junk food. And, um, and the boarding school was really run down. And I thought, oh, Jesus, because I, I didn't I didn't see Canyon de Chez, which was just down the road, which is, again, the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. But so I, I, I just this is first impressions were really bad. And then everybody drove pickup trucks and it was like they were in the 50s wearing cowboy hats and cowboy boots and Waylon Jennings. Larry, she's a good-hearted woman in love with her good timing man. And I thought, oh my God, this is like from another era. And and then the black principal came out to meet me, and I I had borrowed my sister's clothes because I I didn't have any nice clothes because I'd been backpacking for a year. And so he 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 I, he looked at me like I was a hippie. And he, he looked like um, dis, disapproving. And he, he said, you know, we, we don't like hippies around here. I said, I'm not a hippie. I, I just might look like that. But as soon as I get my first paycheck, I'll buy clothes that look like you guys' clothes. And so I, I, I said, you mustn't judge me because of my clothes. And so he said, okay, we ended up being very close friends. And but but he didn't like me at first because of first impression and uh, because they were all older teachers. So I was this youngster in there and he was I think afraid I was going to cause disruption or something. And anyway, and then things went from bad to worse in the classroom. Nobody would talk to me and nobody would look at me. Uh, I, I, I didn't realize they didn't look at me because it was a sign of respect, because I knew nothing about Navajo culture and the boarding school gave no orientation. That is outrageous. So I was completely ignorant about Navajo culture and I made one cultural blunder after another out of deep ignorance. And, and then I went into the teacher room and all they did is complain about the students and they didn't say nice things about the students. So, so I had such a bad impression. I called my father I said, I've made a big mistake. I'm coming home. And he said, you're coming home? You've only been there a week. <laughs> you, you can't judge a person, place, culture, land in a week. I, I got a suggestion for you. Why don't you stay there three months? And if you're still unhappy, you come back and find a job back here. And I said, okay, thinking in my head, there's no way I'm going to spend more than three months here I, I'm, I'm I know I'm gonna end up home that next day changed my life mm. that's when Donna Scott my teacher aide saw how I was struggling almost to tears and she said I see you can really you care unlike the other teachers you really care and you're trying really hard so this is what I suggest you do. 
you try and learn a few words of Navajo so they know you care about them. They're so used to not being cared for by their teachers. So that will show them that you really want to make a difference. So she told me how to say, good morning, my children. My name is Miss Elliot, Erica Elliott. Um, what's your name and where do you come from? And I practiced those really difficult sounds. There's no dictionary then. I had to, you had to listen to sounds that don't exist in English at all. And, and so then the next morning, I walked into the class and this is what I said. And everybody looked up in total shock. And it's the first time they looked at me. And then one of the little girls put her hand over her mouth and started giggling. And then the whole class burst out laughing. And that's when everything in my life changed. So this is not a white savior story. Mm -hmm. They saved me. I mean, we, it was so much love between me and the students. And that love was so life-changing for them and me. And it, it just, uh, I realized in my path in life that whatever purpose I ended up finding, because I knew I was looking for my purpose in life. I didn't know it'd be a doctor. But I, I was taking notes, so to speak. I knew that whatever I decided was my destiny, it had to include, it had to include teaching and empowering the student, and now it's the patient, empowering them with knowledge and through the love and, um, and caring about them. It, it's totally transforming these guys who the white people said couldn't learn ended up being incredibly smart it the love brought out the absolute best in them they wanted so desperately to me to learn about their lives they learned english so fast it's hard to believe that's why i saved a newspaper clipping when the three kids won the speech contest i thought nobody's ever gonna believe this story so i have to document it to prove that it really happened wow well i'll tell you it's <clears throat> to me it's 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 extraordinary that uh that you have 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 had the privilege and actually i would have to say even the honor uh of of being accepted uh at you know, through this process that you went through. And I'd like to talk more about that as we continue. We're talking with Erica Elliott, and uh, she has written her memoir. And uh, we hope that you will uh, uh, go out and get a copy of uh, Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert. In the High Desert. And we certainly hope that you'll go to her website. And that website, I'll give that to you again, folks, is Musings Memoirs Memoir and miracles only one no, plural in there musings memoir and medicine medicine why I, and the reason i got miracles in there is because that's in the title of your book <laughs> musings memoirs and medicine 
uh, com, and you can go there and find out more about the work that she's doing, read a little bit. of You can even read the first chapter, believe it or not. Uh, and it's also available on Audible, and I happen to be, I happen to have an account uh, on Audible, so I'm going to be getting a copy of uh, your book uh, on Audible and uh, listening to that. I mean, i got to tell you, it's, it's so great to be able to listen, even while you're doing other things, and then it's kind of like if it's something that you love doing or, you know, what have you, like when I was a kid growing up and listening to uh, what were audibles today were uh, recordings for the blind and uh, talking books for the blind and uh, building models. And so those models took on sort of that energy of the book that I happened to be listening to at the time. So, boy, it's just great to be. And then hearing the stories you have to share as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it's great to uh, <clears throat> be talking with Erica Elliott about her memoirs. Uh, the Musings uh, Memoir and Medicine Dot com is the website, and we certainly hope that you will also uh, go to her website, go to uh, Amazon as well, and pick up a copy of Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert. Uh, and um, I'm curious, this just isn't, this just isn't uh, about uh, the various plants and herbs and things, whether we're talking about what you j- spoke of earlier about peyote and so forth. Uh, this is also talking about the rituals and the ceremonies and traditions. There's a tribe here on the Central Coast uh, known as the Chumash. And I've only learned one or two words of Chumash. Uh, and there is now, uh, I actually had a couple of people <clears throat> on the program many years ago who talked about a Chumash dictionary that they were working on, uh, which I thought was it was wonderful to keep the language alive. But my friend Peter, who is a, a Shumash Indian, uh, shared with me, says the area that you live in right now, which is called Santa Barbara, is actually in the Shumash, is called Suktun. Uh, and I'm not sure what the exact translation is, but that's the pronunciation. It'd be that it's, it's probably the only word that I know. But I will tell you that when I greet him and when we depart... We, we clasp each other by the upper arm just below the elbow and lean into each other shoulder to shoulder. And we always say, aho, aho. Oh, that's so nice. And I love so that. Nice. So talk to us, if you will, please, about some of the uh, maybe one or two of the most significant experiences that you had in ritual, tradition and or ceremony okay. that profoundly okay. changed you uh, into, and, and I don't want to uh, uh, speak uh, incorrectly here, but basically transformed you into, if I may, a Navajo Indian. <laughs> okay, so my process for them saying I was a real a white-skinned Navajo, actually red-skinned, Navajo, um, was through my desire, my empathy with them, putting myself in their shoes, seeing life through their eyes, participating in their whole life wholeheartedly, without judgment, with, without reservation, without holding back. And I'd like to tell the listeners about something really profound that happened that I don't have any explanation for. It was a healing on me. And so what happened was 
I, I developed this lump under my jaw. And I was not a doctor. I was pretty ignorant about anything to do with medicine. But it didn't feel right. It felt hard, like a rock. And it didn't really move. But I, like so many of my patients, thought if I just ignore it, it'll go away. Well, it didn't go away. It got bigger and bigger. In fact, one of my students, which really caught my attention, said, Miss Elliot has a goiter. No, no, it wasn't a goiter because a goiter is an inflammation of the whole uh, thyroid from iodine deficiency. But, but it just told me that this um, mass was so big that she thought it was something with my thyroid. And so I thought, wow, I'm going to have to do something about this. Um, and so I, like many of my patients, were really scared of doctors, but I forced myself to take the day off, a day off and drive to the nearest charity hospital called um, Sage Memorial Hospital. And it was about an hour and a half away. And like most hospitals, it smelled like disinfectant. It was very sterile. And it, I felt really uncomfortable being in there. And the intern, who, who was very serious and no sense of humor at all in his white coat, and he said, this looks really bad. I think you have lymphoma. I didn't know what that word was, but he said cancer. And I, I freaked out. And he said, we have to do a biopsy. And so he said, um, you know, why don't you come back in an hour and we'll be all set up. Instead of coming back in the hour, I was so frightened that I left. And I drove back to the reservation and I talked to my teacher aide, Donna Scott, and I, I said, you know, I, this guy thinks I have cancer. I, I'm really scared. What should I do? You know, can the medicine man help me? And he, she said, yeah, I know a medicine man who can help you. And here's how to find him. And listen to her instructions. <laughs> she said, go down the wash, meaning the arroyo, mm -hmm. and you go until you see a big sagebrush on your left. Then you, you turn... You turn right at where the big sagebrush is, and then you'll go. You'll go till you see like three pinions in a row, and then you go left there, and then you park and walk down these sandstone ledges. And that's oh my god, I got so lost. <laughs> I'm not used to those kind of instructions, and uh, I finally found him. And he he looked at it, and to my great dismay, he said, "This isn't my specialty." Mm. And he said, I, I know a Hopi medicine man. He gave the name and which, uh, which village on the Mesa. So I spent a whole day uh, looking for this medicine man, this Hopi. I found him herding sheep. And again, to my dismay, he said, this is not my specialty. So I, I, I was so discouraged. And then I told my Navajo family that adopted me, about it and they said oh no problem we're gonna we're gonna pay for a ceremony for you so so we can get that fixed with the roadman I, I i thought oh yeah sure and um and so they said but it's really expensive paying for these ceremonies because th these people were really poor by white standards really poor and and that meant butchering a sheep and sheep are very valuable that they butcher sheep and then they have to pay the roadman. So they said, we're going to share it with another 
family who has a sick baby. And so, and they'll pay half the cost. So I said, okay. And so in the ceremony, first of all, something very funny happened, not, not related to the tumor. I had a ring on my finger and now I was really sort of um, affected by the plant medicine. It was acting in full force. And I hallucinated that it was a wedding ring. And I thought, oh my God, I'm married. I don't even know who I'm married to. And everybody looked at me and, and started laughing. And that was just a thought. I never said that out loud. And so when everybody laughed, I thought, oh my God, nobody's ever going to believe that this kind of thing is happening. And then the roadman said out loud, he, he responded to my thought. And he said, no, they won't believe you. You don't need to tell the white people about what happened. I thought, oh my God, they, they read thoughts. That's, that's outrageous. And <laughs> so I have to be careful what I think about. <laughs> and, so, and so anyway, they prayed so fervently all night and I kind of was focused on the baby. And I forgot sort of that this was about me too. I, I really forgot. And um, I watched the baby get well. And then we filed out and we, we went into uh, the cinder block house when morning came and we sat down for breakfast and everybody stared at me. And I thought, what, why is everybody looking at me? I, I just couldn't figure it out. And then immediately I remembered and my hand went right under my jaw and the mass was not there. It, it was not there. And I kept pressing and pressing and pressing. And for many years, I have, I developed up to this day, I, I developed this habit of feeling under my jaw to see, and this is 50 years ago, and I still feel to see if it's come back. And so whenever, you know, I talk about this, people say, how do you think this happened? And I said, you know, I really don't know. I could make something up and talk about quantum physics and that there is no past, present, future and stuff like that. But I would just be making that up. The real truth is I don't know. I don't know. It's, it shows that we're just living in a tiny part of reality. There's so much out there that we don't have access to. I, I mean, it, it just was mind-blowing. Uh, Richard, I can't hear you. Do you think that we, in the quote-unquote <laughs> modern and or civilized world, uh, need to learn to stop asking why something is or isn't and just accept it? In other words... When that happened to you, you don't know what happened. You just know that it did and just go with it. Yeah, I, I, the only reason why I, I wanted, I struggled so much to try to find a reason is so I could sound credible to my friends. I didn't want to sound like I was making this up or something. So I, I desperately was looking for some way to explain this that was credible. And uh, so I gave up and I just said, oh, okay. And one reason why it took me 50 years to write the book mm -hmm. is because 
in the beginning, well, I document everything I saw. That's why writing the book was so easy for me. I could do it so quickly. I kept extensive journals, diaries and stuff because I was seeing things that no white person had ever seen or experienced. So I wanted to document it because I thought even I, years later, might not even believe this really happened yeah. because it's so outrageous. So I documented everything. Thank God. Yeah. And, and, um, and so I showed it to one sister who's very open-minded. And she said, you have got to uh, publish this. And this is incredible. And I said, I'm not going to because nobody will believe me. And they'll think I have just a big imagination. And I didn't even tell the rest of my family because it would hurt my, it hurt my feelings when people didn't believe me. And yeah. So then when I matured more and I didn't care if people believed me or not, then I was too busy being a medical doctor. Okay, so how did I finally write it? With all the divisiveness in our times, this terrible cultural, racial divisiveness, mm -hmm. I thought now's the time to write my book. I have to make time to write it because it is a healing book. It, because it's all about bridging the cultural divide in these divisive times. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems to me that these other cultures are the ones that are are there to teach us. Yes. And yes. we need Absolutely. We need to be listening. We That's really, right. That's why I say this yeah. is not a white savior book. Right. This is not white girl comes and saves the world. No, I learned. They saved me. Mm -hmm. They they had a profound effect on me. This is a fascinating story. I want to talk more about this as we continue, although we are getting close to the end of our program. But I want to let you know that you are listening to Tell Me Your Story with new paradigms for a new world. And some of those paradigms may go back in history, and we need to bring them forward into the present so that we can create a better world for everyone. And we're going to continue talking with Erica Elliott here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and thank you for being with us here on the program. Erica, this has been a fascinating hour or so, and uh, I know that uh, um, you are uh, um, on your way to your next appointment, what have you. But first of all, I want to thank you for sharing the small little bit of, of your experiences. I hope people will get a copy of your book as well and go to your website, which we will be linked to so that people can uh, get more information in that regard and get a copy of your book on, uh, on Amazon is one of the places that they can go uh, to get a copy of your book. Uh, but I thank you so much for being a part of this program and the work that we are doing uh, in sharing the work, <laughs> sharing the work that you are doing. So thank you thank so you, much. Richard. Thank you very much, Richard. Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert. Erica Elliott is my guest. And uh, Erica, I do have three final questions that I would like to ask you, if I may, before we wrap up here. But before I ask you those questions, I need to remind you, the listener and the viewer, uh, that this is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., 9 a.m. on Wednesdays, and we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. Podcasts are at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, 
and a whole bunch of other places. The list is too long. I would The whole show, I would have to just do the list. But uh, you can find them. Just Google, tell me your story, Richard Dugan. Boom, you'll find SoundCloud in particular. Spotify is a great place as well. We're also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews and uh, subscribe. I'm up to a whopping full deck of 52 subscribers. And hey, I'm not saying that's too small. I'm just saying, hey, thank you to the 52 who are there uh, and the 56 thousand listens in four years ladies and gentlemen 56,000 listens in four years and what's really amazing is ever since I expanded to many of the new web uh, uh, podcasting sites platforms on the internet ladies and gentlemen I have I have literally doubled the listenership of this program on the podcasts in less than one year so the first Three years and a half, I was like at 25 or 30,000. In less than a year and a half, I have gone up to 56,000 plus. So thank you and keep spreading the word. And spread the word about our guests like Erica Elliott, uh, the work that she is doing right now to help people, not just through her uh, med medical practice, but through the work that she is doing with the Navajo and other, I'm sure, other indigenous peoples, other tribes here in the great uh, uh, American, North, North American continent, if you will. Also want to remind you that if you'd like to support the work we're doing here on Tell Me Your Story, we would love to have your support. If you can uh, see your way to do so, if you're able to do so, uh, we thank you for doing that. And we have a PayPal account. That is there for your security as well as ours. I like PayPal as my middle person. And uh, all you have to do when you uh, click on, uh, I want to send uh, X number of dollars to uh, uh, tell me your story and Richard Dugan to help support the work he's doing, they're going to ask you for an email address. It's Richard at RichardDugan.com. Easy. Richard at RichardDugan.com. And you touched upon this a little bit, Erica. We have a, a campaign we've been doing uh, for uh, probably two and a half years. It's called... The Decade of Perfect Vision. Now, we had the year of perfect vision, 2020. Now it's the decade, the 2020s. And we encourage people to, guess what? Go within. To spend time in that quiet, still, calm, peaceful place. Listen to that still, small voice and use the promptings. Use the encouragement. Take in the, uh, um, the insights, if you will, and relax and be confident and, and, and comforted, if you will, in what you are hearing. Uh, I know that it's challenged me on many occasions. Never, ever has it put me in harm's way. So I can attest to the fact that, yeah, it can, it can challenge me. Uh, and uh, I still will do my best to follow the promptings. And sometimes it's pretty quick. It's like, oh, I should have back there. I should have done this, that, or the other thing. So Hope you'll do that. Participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision. And with all of that, the first of my three questions to you that I ask all of my guests, you may have addressed them during the program, but I like to ask them directly. The first is, who is Erica Elliott? I can't be pinned down because I have so many different sides to me. And I'm a Gemini, by the way. They have lots of different sides. So I, you know... Um, <clears throat> <laughs> Who is Erica Elliott? Uh, <clears throat> she has many, many different characteristics. Um, 
But uh, the one thing that people notice about me is an insatiable curiosity, a lack of judgment against people that are different than me, and uh, a desire to be of service, a very, because that's my purpose in life, to be of service and use the gifts that I was given. I happen to be an incredible medical detective. That's why people came from all over the country with undiagnosed mysterious problems. And I use just simple, simple tools to um, help them get better. And um, yeah, so I, I, I will leave it like that. Otherwise, you know, we'd be writing a whole book on the different <laughs> characteristics, sides of me. Uh, good and not not so good. <laughs> All right. Well, the second question is, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I'm, I'm already there. I am doing what I'm meant to be doing. It took me 10 years of searching all over the world to find out what my purpose was. And in each thing I did, like with the Navos, with the Quechua speaking, Inca descendants, I learned something about what I needed to do. And it finally dawned on me that it was medicine. And uh, after 10 years of medicine, mainstream medicine, I decided this is not my purpose, just to give out pills and do lots of scans and not have a, a relationship with the patient and not really try to get to what's underlying the symptoms. And so I, the uh, Navajo grandmother prophesied that something very bad would happen to me and that if I survived, I, I would, quote, have powerful medicine to bring to the people. This was after a mountain lion sniffed me in my sleeping bag in southern Utah. And I told the teacher aide, and she brought me to her grandmother, and the grandmother said that the lion was my spirit guide. Well, I had the disaster, and I survived, and it took me right out of mainstream medicine onto my true path in life, which is treat doing medicine in a way that's not mainstream. It's in alignment with my intellect, my common sense, my soul, my love of people, and all the stuff that I've learned over the decades in service to, to my patients in a meaningful way. That's why I'm 73 and I have no interest in retiring because I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I have found my destiny and it's extremely meaningful and extremely fulfilling. Well, you've sort of answered my third question, which is, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is using my gift, my natural gift, and drawing on everything I know in service to helping people feel better. <clears throat> well, Erica, once again, Erica Elliott, thank you so much for joining us here on Tell Me Your Story. Uh, it's been a great pleasure to get to know you, and I hope that we get a chance to, uh, to have you back on the program to continue this conversation because, as I said earlier, I think it's extremely important for us to understand that it is possible. The Native Americans from North Central and South America have shown us clearly it is possible to live in concert with nature and not subjugate it. And when I use that word, uh, it means to 
strip the land and the resources and to control them and then use them as leverage against other uh, members of the human race. And uh, we need to stop doing that. And we need to start realizing that this is our only home. I don't care if we are exploring uh, other regions off this off this earthly plane uh, and off this planet. Uh, right now, for the, mo- the majority of us, 8 billion, this is it. This is all we've got. And um, I keep seeing more and more women, pregnant women. I keep seeing more and more infants in strollers. And I'm sitting here going, what's the point? Because we're destroying the home we live in. So where are these people going to live and how are they going to survive? And then their children, if, if we get beyond that and so forth. And that's why we're here, to try to help to change and transform this world. So I thank you for your part in that role. Thank you, Richard. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.